This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at uh, the book of Judges, the book of Judges, and uh, go through, well, sort of go through the book. We're not going to go through the whole book, obviously, but we're going to hit some highlights and some things and see what kind of uh, principles we can then glean from it to apply to our lives. Uh, Before we do, I'd like to give the announcements that most of you have already heard, but we need to go over them again. Tonight, of course, we have our first uh, seminar, servants seminar, starting at 4.30. Uh, If you've signed up for that, it's 4.30. If you haven't signed up, this evening, as I understand, is full, but you can sign up for next week. It's going to be the same seminar next week, starts at 4.30, goes until 8 o'clock. So that's this evening. The pictures that are to be taken, a lot of people got their pictures taken over here in the corner this morning. Next week, they'll be taking pictures also for a pictorial directory. Uh, on April the 6th, the send-off for the Owens, send-off dinner. And if you haven't signed up for that, you need to sign up for it. Uh, you can do that by email, or you can do that at the information table. That's April the 6th at 5 o'clock. Easter egg hunt for the kids on April the 12th. The home plate uh, baseball clinic and, and the feature at uh, Comerica Park on May the 10th, Saturday, May the 10th at 9.30 in the morning. You need to sign up for that and get tickets. Um, today is the deadline for that, so if you haven't done it already, you need to do that as soon as possible. Uh, family camp registration. Family camp is June the 15th through the 20th. Going to be at the Double J Ranch again this year over on the other side of the state. You need to sign up for that. Uh, women's conference, and then again the Holy Land tour, which is going to take place next year in April. Um, there'll be... Uh, a presentation on that this evening and next week during the servant seminars, a brief presentation on the Israel trip. Okay, if, if I could get a couple of guys to pass out, I've got some handouts. If I could get a couple of guys to help me with that and just get them passed out, I think there's enough to go around. Thank you. Thank you very much. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. That's where we're going to camp this morning. Judges. I'm glad I didn't pick Malachi because I'm not sure I could go through all the Old Testament books. I used to be able to just rattle them off, boom, 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 boom. But I used to be young also. Uh, Some of you know how that goes. Some of you may not know. Yet, just wait. (laughs) Your turn will come. In the book of Genesis, we have the creation, we have going down through the story of Abraham, we have the story of Moses, and of course the pastor in his Portraits of Grace sermons have covered Joseph, who, who is a prominent feature in the book of Genesis. Then when we get to the book of Exodus, we have Moses, and also that was one of the Portraits of Grace that we had, excellent sermons on Moses and his life. And then Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy actually have to do with giving of the law, and uh, the, the exodus, of course, has to do with Moses and the, and the nation Israel coming out of the bondage from the land of Egypt where they went when Joseph was still alive back in the ending chapters of uh, the book of Genesis. But uh, we've gone through now Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we get to the book of Joshua. Well, you know, I'm sure, that Moses was not able to enter the promised land because of disobedience. God said, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to go in. 
Joshua was, was Moses' right-hand man, or was the military leader, so to speak, during the, during the days of the wandering in the wilderness. And because of disobedience, a lot of the people who wandered around for 40 years did not, did not get to go into the promised land. But two men did, two men of prominence. They were Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua then became the, the leader of the nation Israel after Moses. And the book of Joshua tells the exploits of Joshua and the nation Israel as they then went into the promised land that had been promised to Abraham. They went into the promised land and now they're starting to um, <laughs> settle in. But the settling in is not like you move from, well, I'm, seven years ago I moved from Allen Park to Brownstown. Um, I closed on my house in Brownstown in June, and I occupied both houses for about three or four months. Every time we would go over to our house in Brownstown, we'd take a load of stuff in the car and put it in the house, and eventually we got to the point where we were staying there overnight for a few nights, and then pretty soon we said, you know, we may as well just make the move. We got both these houses. Let's get out of here. So we moved everything from Allen Park and moved into. It was, it was really quite easy to do. Uh, moving, settling into the land of, of Canaan, or the promised land, however, was a little more difficult for nation Israel because they had all these other people who were living there. And, of course, the plan was, God's plan was for them, when they moved into the promised land, that they would drive everybody else out. And the, the, the promised land then, the land of Canaan, would become Israel's homeland. Uh, well, to make a long story short during the time of the book of Joshua, as they were going through the land, settling the land, they, they, they conquered all the tribes that were there, but they failed to drive them out. And they left them there, and that became a problem to them. One of the problems was that most of these people who inhabited the land of Israel prior to Joshua's time were Baal worshipers. Pastor talked about Baal in the service this morning. They worshiped Baal, they worshiped Ashtra, and they worshiped Dagon. They had three gods that uh, were their primary gods that they worshiped. And in not driving the people out of the land, then Baal worship, Ashtra worship, Dagon worship became prevalent, including moving over into the nation Israel, into their lives. So because of disobedience now, they become not only disobedient to God, but they also become idol worshipers. They start worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth and Dagon. Well, this presents a little bit of a problem. Turn with me to the book of Judges, if you would, please. The book of Judges. Let me call your attention to the first chapter and verse 19. It says, the Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains. Then in verse 21, the Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Then in verse 27, but Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshen or Teanic or Dor or Iblium or Megiddo. Verse 29 says, Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. Verse 30, Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Ketron or Nahalo. 
Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out those living in Echo or Sidon or Alab or Oxib or Elba or Aphek or Rehob. Verse 33, neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemus or Beth Anath. Verse number 34, the Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. Now, all these people that said didn't drive out, all those names, those are all the 12 tribes of a portion of the 12 tribes of Israel. But they all had the same problem. The land that they inhabited, Joshua divided up the land according to God's plan, and each tribe had their own area that they were in. But they all failed to drive out the enemy. So it really became a problem. Then over in chapter number 2, in verse... Well, let's start at verse 8 in chapter number 2. It says, Joshua son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance, or timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaesh. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that whole generation being those who were with Moses there in the wilderness, they died after they had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Hmm. Remember the pastor at the beginning of his sermon this morning said, if you had an opportunity of talking with one of the young people in your family, what would you talk to them about? What would you teach them? What of importance would you try to impart on them? I'm thinking that that, that's a good question for, for this particular portion of Scripture here because... Obviously, the people of Israel were not talking to their youngsters about what, who God was, number one, what God had done for them in the past in bringing them out of the, prom, out of the wilderness into the promised land. So I'm, I'm thinking that they, they somehow missed the boat here because they didn't let the young people know what was going on prior to them. Everything was just for the here and now, the present. Uh, Sometimes we have the same problem. Sometimes we, we think about the here and the now. It's only now. Uh, when I was a young man, and I know that's hard for you to think that I can remember when I was a young man, but I, I remember we had a pastor when we were, lived in Virginia one time. A pastor often said, we are only one generation away from being a godless nation. Only one generation one generation away from being a godless nation or a heathen nation. As we talk about generations in the Bible, and it probably holds true to today, each, each 40 years was about a generation. And you can see that where every 40 years our family sort of has a big change in the way it looks. Uh, at the end of this month, I'll be married 51 years, which, men, which means I've been married longer than one generation. I can see that in my family makeup because I have a great-grandchild, which means that now in my short time, not quite 80 years yet, but in my short time, we already have four generations represented in our family. So we're going on about 40 years as a generation. So in 40 years' time, they have forgotten God. Look at verse number 11, where we just stopped. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baal. 
forgotten God who promised them this land that they're inhabiting and, and brought them through. They don't remember that because most of them weren't alive during that time. But now they're here in the land and they're supposed to conquer the land and drive out the inhabitants. Well, at this particular point, just before this verse that I just read, verse 11 of chapter 2, the 12 tribes are on the edge of national success. They've been liberated from slavery. They begin to occupy and settle the, uh, the promised land. But something goes terribly wrong. By the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, by the time we get to the end, the central leadership has broken down. The tribes are at each other's throats. The 12 tribes are battling each other. They're, they're oppressed on every side by their enemy. And they're in danger of national extinction. What went wrong? Well, what went wrong was disobedience. They sinned. They did not follow the word of God in doing what they were supposed to have done. So disobedience. Not only disobedience now, but sin begets sin. I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to steer you wrong here, but I'll just speak from a personal experience. I won't involve you because this, would, this surely could not apply to you. When I look other than to God, I get involved in sin. Now, that's as specific as I'm going to be. If you want me to fall on my knees and confess, sorry, I do that to the Lord. But I get involved in sin. And if I don't confess that sin, then that sin starts to compound. And, and I get involved in other sins, whatever they might be. And, and if that goes on, then I get involved in more until pretty soon I'm, I'm so far deep in sin that I have one of two recourses. I can, I can live through it or I can say, God, help me. Take this away from me. Help me to turn my back on it, Lord, so that I can follow you and do the right thing. I think we're probably all guilty of that to a certain extent. I'm not going to say that I'm a great sinner, but I am. I'm a great sinner, but I'm saved by grace, fortunately. Um, but we have, to be, we have to be very careful in our lives today because we get involved in sin. I was going to say, I don't commit gross sins. But you know what God says? Sin is sin. There are no levels of sin. Sin is sin. It's wrong. We have to be very careful. Well, the book of Judges deals with a cycle of sin. On this handout that I gave you, there's a chart on there that says the Cycle of sin in Judges. And you notice on the top of that circle, it says that Israel serves the Lord. And then just over to the right, Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Then the next step is that Israel is enslaved. They're deep in their sin. They're enslaved in it. Then they turn from their sin. They cry out to the Lord. And God raises up a judge. And Israel is delivered. 
And this cycle, even though it looks like a circle on, on, on your page and mine, it really is a circle that starts like this, and then it goes like this. <laughs> and it's a circle that sort of spirals downward. And the, the, each succeeding generation, it gets worse and worse and worse. Look with me, if you will, to, to chapter 3, verses 7 through, at this point, verses 7 through 11. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Hmm. Hello? Why haven't the people caught on by now? After all that the Lord has done for them, in conquering the land, in giving them all that he said he would give them, why, why haven't they figured it out by now? Well, because sin is, is entrenching itself into their lives. That's the first point of the chart. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Netharaim. That's number two. Israel falls into sin and idolatry. And then number three, Israel is enslaved. But it says in verse 9, But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer. He sent them a judge, someone who could help them. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. That's number five. Israel is delivered. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Peace for 40 years, a whole generation. While Othniel lived, they turned to the Lord as their God, and everything was fine. But after Othniel died, look at verse number 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Hello? Why haven't the people caught on by now? I wish I could answer that for you. But all I can do is ask the question. We see that Othniel has died. The people again turn away from their God. Did evil in the eyes of the Lord because they did this evil. The Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over them. So now we've gone through the first judge, Othniel, who judged for 40 years after they were oppressed for a number of years. Now we have Ehud, who is a Moabite king. They go through oppression for 18 years until Eglon is made the judge. And we see in verse number 14 of chapter 3, the Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, the story goes on to tell how Ehud requested a private setting with the king. It was granted, and while he was in the room with the king himself, just the two of them, he killed King Ehud with a dagger that he had. Now, I've often heard, and I don't know whether this is true or not, 
But I've often heard that you can't trust left-handed people. Anybody in here left-handed? You don't want to admit it. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Some of you are. Well, I've, I've often heard in the past that in a time of battle, or even in a time of peace, you have to be careful of those who are left-handed because they wear their sword on the right side. So I could actually come up to you and shake hands with you, which is m- with my right hand, which if I were going to draw a sword, I would use my right hand to draw a sword. But if I'm shaking hands with you, I can't very well do that. But if I've got your right hand, I could easily reach across if I'm left-handed and do a job on you. I don't know whether that's true or false. It makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. But I'm, I'm not going to say that you shouldn't trust left-handed people because that's, that's foolish. Don, did you say you were left-handed? I trust Don. <laughs> There's something there for a reason why he was left-handed, but I, I, I'd have to do a lot more studying to bring you something definite on that. But they go through this whole cycle as well with Ehud as the judge. It follows almost exactly the same cycle as they went through with Ehud. Then it says, um, down in verse number 29, at the time they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, not one escaped. That day Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. So after Ehud, the second judge, there were two generations of peace. Uh, It doesn't say that Ehud lived that long, but I have to sort of believe that he probably did. He probably lived for that, for that long. Because then in verse number 1 of chapter 4, well, go to the last verse of, of chapter six or chapter 3, I'm sorry. After Ehud became Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, he too saved Israel. Shamgar is, a, is, is one of the judges. If you notice up in point number 1, I, I broke the judges down into major judges. Major judges and minor judges. Shamgar is at the top of the list of minor judges. He was actually the third judge. But it doesn't tell us a whole lot about him or how long he was actually a judge. It just his he too saved Israel. But he was one of what we call the minor judges over Israel. And then the next judge to come along was in chapter 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Hello? Why haven't the people caught on by now. Hmm. Now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord said, sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. So now they're oppressed, they're enslaved. In our cycle, we can see it's happening all over again. Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth, Egoim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord, bottom of our cycle of sin and judges, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. We don't have a whole lot of history about Deborah, her background, or anything else. But I, I personally believe that Deborah was one of the, was the epitome of the women of God. Um, 
here's a time when we're going through all this change in leadership, and God raises up a woman to be the judge. That doesn't say a whole lot to me about the character of the men during that time. But again, I would have to do a whole lot more study to say that that's one of the problems. But I really believe that there were there was a real problem with sin in the life of Israel. And God raises up a woman to be the judge. And a great leader she was. Um, she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. I'm reading from verse number 5 in chapter 4. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. So she's looking to Barak, and that's Barak, not Barak. Stay with me here. Barak, okay, I'm, I'm, we're not going to get into any political discussions this morning, but this is Barak, who has become the commander of the army. Deborah says to him, the Lord has commanded you to do this. And his response in verse number 7 says, um, not 7, verse number 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. What kind of a man would say to his leader, let alone the fact that the leader is a woman, but if, if you will go with me into this battle, I'll go. But if you're not willing to go, <laughs> neither am I. I'm not going to have any part of that. So here's this great leader of the army who's only willing to go if she will go. She says in verse number 9, Certainly I will go with you, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Hmm. And to make a long story short, he routed the army. The leader of the army got away went to a place where a woman said to him, come in, I'll hide you. Verse number 18, Jael, the lady, went out to meet Sisera, the the running captive, said to him, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. But... Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. So here's a non-Israelite woman who is becoming victorious over this guy who was running, Sisera, the captain of the army. She was able to kill him. So the honor went to her. And not to Barak, because Barak was hesitant to do what the Lord had told him to do. And what is it when we don't follow what the Lord tells us to do? What do we call that? Anybody? 
When the Lord has told us to do something and we don't do it, it's called, one word, <laughs> disobedience, which is, short word, sin. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Charades, now we've gone to charades. <laughs> sin. Hello? Why haven't the people caught on by now? Man, I, I, I don't know. I don't understand it. Well, they were victorious over the army. Deborah reigned in peace over Israel for 40 years. But it wasn't long. It wasn't long until we get to chapter 6. Chapter 6 talks about Gideon, the next judge of Israel. And it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> Sounds like a recurring theme in the book of Judges, doesn't it? That remark is the first remark when it comes time for a new judge to take over. When the old judge dies, the people, instead of following what the judge has said, because now the judge is gone, they do what? They do what they want to do, so they fall back into idolatry, and they follow the ways of the land. So now Gideon. Of course, most of you have heard the story of Gideon many times over, but... uh, We'll not go through all that, except to say that Gideon, the people prior to Gideon were in oppression for about seven years, and then after Gideon became the judge, there became peace in the land again, and the peace lasted for about 40 years, another generation. Then Gideon passed on. Jephthah was the next major judge, and Jephthah actually... Remember I talked about this sin as we, as we sin and it gets more involved and more involved and more involved until we look to the Lord? Well, this cycle that's going on with the nation Israel, the downward cycle, the spiral down, I would call it, uh, it, it with each succeeding judge, it gets just a little bit worse than it was. The first two, we just primarily have a basic Conception following this outline with the circle of judges about what, what they did, what went on. And now we're starting to introduce other elements into the fact that these judges are, are there. With, with Deborah being the judge and Barak being the, the commander of the army and Barak's unwillingness to go into battle unless she went with him, this was, was an outright sin that's taking place within the cycle that's going. And now we get to, to the fifth judge, Jephthah, and we find that... Uh, well, let me back up. Let me go back to Gideon for just a minute. Remember the story of Gideon, how an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and, and, and called him a mighty warrior. And Gideon sort of looked around like, you know, who's he talking to? Can't be talking to me. I'm just, I'm just a, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, which is the least of, of I'm the least of the least, he says. But the angel told him, no, you're, you're God's chosen vessel. Gideon was a little skeptical, I believe, because he put out some, some test for the Lord to complete before he would actually accept the fact that he was going to be in charge. Then when he, when he finally got to the point where he realized that, yeah, that's what the Lord wants me to do, he, he massed this enormous or, army around him, and uh, the Lord said, no, that's, that's too many men. I, I want the people to know that it's not your fight, it's my fight. So he, he called them out until he was only left with 300 people. 
and in the ensuing battle, which really was the Lord's, it wasn't Gideon's. Uh, you remember the story of Gideon, how he took the 300 and they, they attacked at night, if you can call it an attack. They each had uh, jars of clay, so to speak, and lights that were hidden under them. They had no flashlights in those days. They had no flood lamps, so they had candles with these jars that covered them. And he said, uh, we're going to shout and, and, and break these jars, and it's going to be night. The enemy is going to be scared. And in fact, when it happened, they were scared. They were so scared that they jumped up, and they started killing each other and running away and slaying slaying each other, slowing each other. Yeah, that's good. Slaying each other as they're running. And the whole army was just completely routed because the battle was the Lord's, not Gideon's. A lot of things that went on during the times of judges that, that we can't get into all the details. But then we get to Jephthah, the next judge, the next major judge. Now, Jephthah is one that wasn't actually called by the Lord. He was called by the people. The people wanted somebody to lead them, so they elected Jephthah. Huh. We start off with the nation crying to God because they're deep in their sin and they're becoming enslaved. So they cry to God and say, give us a judge. He gives them a judge and the judge delivers them from evil. And they go back into after the judge is gone and they go around this cycle again. Well, this time when they get down to where it says they cried to the Lord, they didn't actually do that. They took it upon themselves to appoint their own judge. So Jephthah was, was elected by the nation Israel to be, become their judge. You know what happens when we get entrenched in sin? We say to ourselves, well, there's nothing the Lord's going to be able to do for me at this point. I've I've gone so far down that I may as well try to get myself out of it. And what happens when we try to get ourselves out of a dire predicament? (laughs) Usually we just get deeper and deeper as far as I can go, sorry. <laughs> we get deeper and deeper into it. And, and that's what's happened here. The people now say Jephthah's going to be our judge. Well, they were fighting with the Ephraimites at the close of Jephthah's judgeship. And they were fighting the men of Ephraim. The men of Ephraim, who basically were from west of the Jordan, not east of the Jordan, but they were being routed, and they were trying to get back to their homeland, those that, that were left over. And as they would meet up with Jephthah's troops, trying to get through, Jephthah devised a, a, a test for them. And the test was a very simple test, but it was very difficult for the Ephraimites. When they tried to get through to get back to their homeland... They would ask him, are you Ephraimites? And they'd say, probably most of the time, no. Because they were afraid they were going to be killed. So if they said no, then the test was, say the word, Shibboleth. Well, I'm not sure what it was, but the people of the west of the Jordan couldn't say Shibboleth. They said Sibboleth. It was not part of their category. For some. I'm not sure what it was, but they couldn't do it. And when they said Sibboleth rather than Shibboleth, they were eliminated. What we have now is Jephthah 
who was this elected, popular election judge over the nation Israel, slaying their own countrymen. Ephraim was one of the twelve sons of Judah. He, 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 he twelve sons, one of the twelve tribes. They were starting to now eliminate their own people as well. Well, that brings us then to the last judge of Israel, who was Samson. Everyone's heard of Samson. I like to think of Samson as Rambo. <laughs> you may have never thought of Samson that way, but most of you know who Rambo is. If I say Rambo, something comes to your mind. Well, if I say Samson, just think Rambo, and you've got it. Samson, one time he was attacked by a lion. He literally tore the lion apart with his bare hands. One time he took a jawbone of a donkey, the jawbone of an ass, it says, and he slew 1,000 Philistines with it. 1,000. Samson. Rambo. (laughs) Samson was basically the last major judge of, of Israel. The reason I say basically the last major judge after Samson was Eli who was really a priest. He was the spiritual leader. And then Samuel also was considered a judge. And uh, Samuel then, after Samuel's tenure as judge, came the kings. And we get into the book of First Kings, and then we start going through who the kings are. So the, the judges were an intermediary leader. They weren't a judge like we view a judge today, but they were the intermediary leader of the, uh, of the people of Israel they were their spiritual leader. They were their, their physical leader in battle, military leader. They were their religious leader. They, they were the ones that were looked to as the leaders. But then after Samson's death, they still weren't satisfied. The nation Israel started asking for a judge. Well, my time's almost up. Sorry I looked at the clock. It's the wrong time to look at the clock. I should have looked 10 minutes ago. Because we've got a lesson here in this for us, folks. We've got a lesson here that we need to, to figure out. Hello? Why haven't the people caught on by now? I'm going to make a rather rash statement here, but if you'll bear with me, I'll try to work it out in three minutes. We're as guilty of sin as the nation Israel was. We love the Lord, we serve the Lord. But we do lots of things that are are not the right things to do. We have idols. pastor's gone over this many times. I don't need to try to elaborate on what he said because he did it more eloquently than I can. But we're involved in sin. Why can't we figure that out by now? Sin does nothing but, but take us away from God. When in reality, what we should be doing is turning our eyes toward God and coming back. I have on your outline... The application as being in, in chapter 2, verse 10, we've forgotten the Lord. And we're as guilty of that as, as the nation Israel. And today, I'm not even sure if I were to follow the words of my pastor from Virginia many years ago, that we're one generation away from being a godless nation. I think we might be even shorter time than one generation away. 
one generation being 40 years. I mean, look around you today and, and ask yourselves, where are we? Where are we in, in, in accord with following our Lord? I remember teaching, oh, probably 40, 45, 50 years ago, that what happens is we have the world and we have the church. And the world, they take a step to the left. Okay, let's do it this way. Let's do the, the world and the church. Let's put God here. We have the world and the church. The world takes a step to their left. And the church takes a step to their left. And I have seen this happen in my lifetime many, many times. What happens when we have certain standards, and the world has different standards, and the world changes their standards, and the next thing you know, we adopt the standards that the world used to have. And we become a little less than, than, than we were. Instead of taking a step in the opposite direction, or instead of following what we believed was right to begin with and standing firm, we, we, we take that step so that the church, when it moves, I mean, the, the world, when it moves, the church is always one step behind. But it's always toward where the world was. If you don't believe me, look at 100 years ago what our nation was going through religiously. Look at 50 years ago what we were doing in, in the realm of religion. Look at 25 years ago in the realm of religion and see what's going on. 15, 20 years from now, people are going to say, I can't believe that back in the two, back in the early 2000s, they let people of the same sex get married. Hmm. We're, we don't accept that. But if the Lord tarries long enough, we're going to be to a point where we're either going to have to say, well, I'll just sort of overlook it because I know it's wrong, but I'm just going to overlook it and then we're all going to be put in together in one big melt and we're going to be different than we were. I think the application from the book of Judges is we know what sin is. We know what God expects of us. Let's just do it. Whatever crops up in your life that is not the right thing to do, look at it right in the eye and say, I'm not going to do that. Lord, help me. Please help me. We can be successful. Sin begets sin. I've got one little quote here that I wanted to read to you. I've lost it. Don't tell me I've lost it. No. Sin never takes us by surprise. It's the product of wrong thinking and actions, sometimes even years before. One thing I'd like for you to take away from this morning, it would be just that first part of that sentence, is that sin never takes us by surprise. It'll take us. But we have a choice. We can follow the Lord, or we can 
At the book of Judges, it says that in those days they had no king, and every man did what was right in his own sight. We're there. We need to follow the Lord. Stamp out sin. Thank you, Father, for this time you've given us this morning. Thank you for this book of Judges that shows us how we can avoid being like the people of Israel, how we can turn to you and stick with you. Father, help us that our lives might count for you. Help us to overcome sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.